You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Yeah, and we're live from the studio. My name is DJ Dick Hennessy. Of course, joined with my lovely co-host, Meg Thibodeau. Hey there, Dick. How you doing? Good. I'm doing good. How you doing? Weird times. Indeed. <laughs> so I remind you guys, uh, you know, we're broadcasting live from Ned Space on the 11th floor of the majestic Union Bank Tower in scenic downtown Portland, Oregon, as always. And it's a gray and gloomy day today outside. It's snowing at our house, Dick. <laughs> oh, man. 1,200 feet. We've got little flakes. <laughs> don't say that too much. <laughs> <laughs> Event tonight, I don't need any snow, any more additional nonsense. <laughs> Just too much. I might not be able to handle it. But uh, just a quick reminder, in the society that houses the largest inmate population on Earth, anything that can and will be done to curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable. And that's what we're attempting to do here today at Felony Inc. podcast and every day. So um, let's address the elephant in the room. This is the special coronavirus Felony Inc. podcast edition. Uh, unfortunately, we had two... Reschedule our scheduled guest today, which was Criminon, which was Baron Zane and, and Reyna. And uh, I'm definitely upset about that, but there's nothing. I mean, it's the only option we had, basically, at this point. Criminals Anonymous is a pretty great group for folks that want to give a listen and uh, get caught up on that. The uh, Some of the awesome work they're doing. We've got them on uh, episode 87. And what was the other one? Uh, I'm not familiar with the number. Yeah, but, uh, we'll check it out. They've got two podcasts, uh, previous podcasts, that are definitely worth a listen, and we yeah. will get them back in the studio. Oh, most certainly, as soon as possible. And um, if you guys are listening, I apologize about the inconvenience, but <laughs> seeing as we're the only people that showed up today for any podcast in the in that space, I think it's completely understandable. Well, it's unprecedented times. I think people just kind of don't really know what the right thing to do is. You know, we've got a lot of information out there. And, you know, where do we where do we land between panic and really prudent precautions? Because it's tough. It's tough to know. I think when we walk in here, you know, we kind of walk in here with the the germs of whoever we've been touching, yeah. and uh, we just got to be safe. We got to stop, at least slow the spread of, of what is starting to look like an inevitable um, <laughs> pandemic of unprecedented proportions. Little, little tiny, tiny beast is kind of taking us down, isn't it? It's extremely futuristic. Uh, today, Kay Brown projected that 75,000 Oregonians would contract the virus, and that's a rough estimate, but um, it's it's... It's crazy because I was just thinking about this on the way here. Um, earlier, when Kobe Bryant died, I was telling people that there hadn't been a celebrity death of that magnitude since Prince, right? And today, with the, the way that everything's going with the coronavirus, I feel personally there hasn't been a story of this magnitude that's been this impactful since 9-11, personally, just in terms oh, of easily. the coverage. And yeah, easily. It's, it, but it's been that long. That is how it feels. Yeah. And um, here we are, you know, just day by day right now, having no idea what's in store. No what's about idea. To I will say I'm reading Prince's uh, 
memoir, The Beautiful Ones. Oh, nice. And it's fantastic. On a side, you should check it out for yeah, sure. Yeah, I love Prince. Uh, it's true. It's really, um, it's really surreal. A lot of stuff is going on. I think um, the news I'm hearing coming from the prison system kind of it hits especially hard i gotta say when this stuff started it's hard not to go right there and wonder about these people that are locked up and i know you know this dick the there's a there's a a kind of resounding uh, thought i think there's a school of thought out in the world with folks that do not have an experience with prison that inmates get this awesome free health care and the fact <laughs> is it is not that way i don't yeah. know about you but i literally watched women die in prison for lack of health care or for botched health care i saw people get you know n- n- no access to needed medication we could spend this whole hour telling horror stories i think about um, the horrors of healthcare in prison and what that looks like for a population that is in such close, crowded quarters, completely locked up, and how that might impact their families and their children who are no longer able to come visit them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyone that spent time in a Justice Center or Inverness, which are county jails in Portland, I mean, you've heard people essentially dying from uh, withdrawals and, um, you know, it's it's not a game, and they really, either they don't have the resources for it to, to take care of it adequately, or whatever the situation is, um, they they very much downplay it and kind of wait to see what happens instead of being proactive, by any means. I mean, right. They're really ran. under-resourced, and I think the overarching feeling of the folks that are taking care of inmates is that they're less than human. They don't deserve the same kind of care. You know, there's a lot of, well, they shouldn't have committed a crime. You know, they shouldn't, they shouldn't, they should have thought of that before. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we, we know that it's just not possible for addicts and, you know, folks that are in certain situations or only have certain tools available to them. You know, I know I didn't check the federal guidelines before I went out and committed my crime. You know, before I went out and sold ecstasy, I didn't didn't do the research at the law library to see what the what the terms were. I just didn't think I'd get caught. Yeah, I was the same way. And I mean, essentially, I don't know how accurate this is, but what I've been told, and I've been I'm kind of keep my ears to the politics and the situation unfolding in in county jails. Obviously, everyone that goes through gets a immediate TB test. I mean, no one that goes through gets a coronavirus test at all. And uh, no one that's in there, I don't think, gets one unless... I mean, I, w- I wouldn't even know what that would dictate in terms of... I'm hearing about the shortages, how many... T- like, I said there was something like 40 coronavirus tests allocated for the state right now or something outlandish. Inmates are not getting those. No, yeah. no, no. And, I, and that's what I've been hearing is that, you know, there's a ton of homeless people in Justice Center... Uh, there's a ton of people, and I, and again, this is all speculation. This is just word of mouth from what I'm hearing. I'm not in there, but um, I, I've just been hearing that you know the the cries are going unanswered, and essentially, no one knows the extent of what this is going to be in the jail system right now. And it, you know, it's not just us speculating. I mean, uh, right now, I seen that that article earlier today about um, from Lama Week saying that the prison officials have shut all visitations. For including 30 days, attorneys, including Inc- attorneys, yeah. including POs, yep. uh, which essentially means that, you know, it, it's a big issue with the attorney thing because it's like, oh, well, you can still communicate over the phone. 
Well, over the phone, everyone's listening. It's recorded. So there's no confidentiality at right. all right there, first of all. And let's just say hypothetically that there is. Um, not being able to visit your family members, not being able to for for a month on top of everything going on right now. Uh, I mean, that's it's crazy. But, I, you know, I understand that they're panicking and they're just trying to tie up loose ends and do whatever they can to, to slow the spread of things. But Right. It makes sense to limit the amount of folks that are coming in and coming out. I mean, you've already got the guards coming in and coming out. Yeah. Um, I suspect that's going to end up, you know, there's a shortage of prison workers as it is. And as they fall ill... You know, there's going to be some interesting times. There's been riots in Italy. It's yeah. It's been pretty crazy. I, I think about, you know, not even just the isolation of the inmates not getting to visit their families, but the impact on the families, particularly young children who are unable to go visit parents. And in a time when, you know, their schools are closing, there's a lot to be afraid of. Um that's that's tough. That's tough on kids. It's tough on families. I mean, we all know that that it's tough on kids for their their parents to go to prison in general. The statistics about intergenerational incarceration are astounding. Yeah. Um, it's really sad stuff. You know, people don't tend to think about the impact on the kids again. Oh, well, you don't get visitors. You know, you should have thought of that before you. You know, this coronavirus seems to be something of an equalizer right now you know we can i think one of the best things that we can do is open our hearts to the humanity of all all people and the right if we have it to stay well in our communities and our families and our environment i couldn't agree more and uh you know on top of limiting the amount of you know no time for attorneys no time for family uh there's no time for probation or parole officers to come in and talk to you which essentially when you're in there that's kind of how you know when you're getting out you know uh, as they come and talk to you and you say okay you know i'm willing to do whatever and then you have a date to be released and it's kind of streamlined so now everything is on the back burner so people that inevitably were looking at maybe getting out a week maybe two weeks it's just additional time without them the uncertainty of the times we're living in for all of us, it's intense. The yeah. uncertainty of going to jail or prison is really, really intense. I mean, I think it took five or six weeks till I actually knew how much time I was going to serve in prison. I mean, I think that that convoluted math they use to calculate time served and and time off and whether you get into this program or that program or qualify for different things, it's very complex. And so sitting in prison or jail, not knowing what's going to happen, it is a, a painful, painful process. Yeah. Yeah. There's no worse feeling than just being stuck and having no idea what's going on. No idea, barely any communication. You know, even yeah. the phone calls, of course, are limited and you write a letter to somebody. I remember getting a letter back one time. <laughs> Please, I urge all of you who have friends in prison to write those letters that are sitting on your desk. You know, you write your letter as an inmate, send it out there. And then, you know, people on the outside are busy, busy people. And letters take a long time to get to and to write and uh, got a letter from a, an aunt or something that said, oh, man, you know, I'm sorry to be so late. February. I don't know where February went. You know how people say this thing. Yeah. And it's like, man, I do. It came to Bryan Federal Prison Camp and stayed for 10 years. 
it's long waiting yeah. for those responses. So those folks really need that contact. They really need that moment, that one moment of the day during mail call where you get your name called and it's a letter from someone who loves you. That makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world. You know, also, so a few easy. dollars in commissary can't hurt. <laughs> no, definitely some canteen doesn't hurt. But, uh, you know, the thing is, they're talking about, you know, you can still, and especially in prison, you can do video chat. They have that now. And, uh, uh, you know, you can video your possibly attorney or uh, your PO. But the thing that they're not telling you about is when you're doing visits, face-to-face visits, or even behind the glass, there's no charge for that. Those video calls, those are expensive. They're actually major gouging. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people can't afford that. It's, it's intense how expensive those are. It's yeah. a real messed up system. If you're an OSP working like in the kitchen or doing whatever, you know, making <laughs> crazy minuscule amounts of money, that's, I mean, it makes a huge difference. Sure does. Speaking of making money in prison, have you heard about the uh, New York governor having inmates making hand sanitizer. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I saw the article that you sent me. Actually, had read that, too. I have some feelings about masks that. And, yeah, you yeah the masks and hand... I think they're doing hand sanitizer in New York, and then the Chinese women are... I mean, they've got them on all-night-long yeah. shifts making masks and hand sanitizer. So I was in the federal system, and there's a, a Fortune 500 company called Unicor, and they are posted up in the federal prison system, and they do all sorts of things. They run call centers. Uh, in our prison, the factory side of Unicor was putting uh, hot gluing little samples of lotions and perfumes into magazines, and uh, the it's the best paying job on compound. So, you know, whereas a kitchen job is going to start around 12 cents an hour or something like that. Yes, 12 cents an hour. Jobs on compound topped out at about 70 cents an hour. But if you went to Unicor, you could get longevity. And if you were down for a long time, five, 10 years, you might make $2 an hour. And for folks down that long, when people forget about them or have families experiencing poverty, you know, that means everything. Yeah. And it's basically folks on the outside using what, base, you know, what pretty much amounts to slave labor yeah, absolutely. to have these folks make tons of money for them by doing really, really cheap and exploitive work. And so I have some concerns. I mean, it feels really like a bummer that this population is being used for a product that they're not even allowed to use. What's the exact same, I mean, formula as slavery? I mean prison system in America, especially, I mean, I can only imagine China. Um, it's essentially futuristic slavery is what it is. I remember going into it and that's exactly what it was. You know, like they line you up, you get naked. You so know, they, dehumanizing. They you, yeah, I mean, Do the, the dance. Yeah. Did they say that to you? Do uh, the dance. I mean. Uh, the squat and cough. Uh, uh, pull your ears. Yeah. I did gotta that. look behind your ears. I did that more times than I can even begin to imagine. But um, but that's reality of the situation is you're no longer <laughs> a regular member of society. You're now you're owned. Yeah. Your property, yeah, your property. Yeah. In fact, there's a, there's a, uh, shot, you know, the shot you get in trouble, you get what they call a shot. And one of them is if we get a sunburn or you get hurt or anything else, there's actually a shot for destruction of government property. Mm. So if you're irresponsible with your own body, you can get in trouble 
for destruction of government property. Straight yeah. up, they own you. Yeah. If that's not futuristic slavery, I don't know what is. And it just it's dehumanizing. Yeah. And again, you know, I just can't I can't express enough how I think the core of the work that we're doing and that needs to be done is step one. See these people as people, you know, see these people as fellow human beings making having committed a crime or being an addict or being, you know, as our our guests that were supposed to be here today with the Criminals Anonymous, being addicted to crime or the identity of being a criminal does not actually make you a garbage. It doesn't make you a throwaway person. You are still human. There is still there is still a chance that people can be redeemed and. Until until we can see a deeper connection between all people rather than us and them, I'm a good person. You know, there's not a quote unquote good person on in this country who hasn't broken the law yeah. in some way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, I mean, just listening to uh, you know Bear's story from uh, the last criminal interview we did, where he talked about being in the swamps in Florida and. You know the Chang Gang, and uh, I was and, crying during that I mean, one. That's that's reality. You know, we we you know when we're at home, comfortable watching TV, uh, it's we're so far removed from that reality. But the truth of the matter is that that you know that's still going on in this day and age, and uh, it's outlandish. Like it's completely inhumane. And um, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I don't see an end in sight for it. You know, so many people profit off of it. So many states, so many governments get benefits from it to so the many point individuals, of individuals, yeah. yeah. And then it's so easy, just like, oh well, you know, they shouldn't have committed crimes. Like, right. uh, you know, it's the it's totally their fault. When we're walking around trying to make decisions about who our people and where our tribes are and where we fit in in this world. You know, it takes a lot of the decision-making and the deep practice of compassion out of the equation for us to be able to just amputate a whole population of people. Those are the bad people. We are not like them. And I'm sure that whatever they did, they deserve to be there. It's really um, makes... It is simpler, you know, it, it eliminates the amount of decisions you have to make in a day. But the fact is, everybody walking around on the outside is in some kind of prison of their own. You know, addictions are far spread. The kind of things that keep people locked in behaviors, that keep people locked in relationships or jobs or paradigms that imprison them in, in ways that can be far more harmful because they're out walking around with really bad attitudes, bad behaviors, destructive behaviors. I don't know. You know, we're not that much different. And we've got we've to learn to take care of each other. We have to learn how to see the most vulnerable and, you know, the most vulnerable people. I mean, we're talking about a system that highly disproportionately incarcerates folks of color, yeah. highly disproportionately incarcerates folks experiencing poverty, mental illness, and addiction. So it's become a place where we can just throw away members of our society that are too difficult to deal with or that mirror us in a way that is just too uncomfortable. And so if we're not willing to do the deep internal work of looking at our own selves and what we're bringing to the culture and what we're bringing to the table, you know, that's what it takes is for us to equalize on a really serious note. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, 
the crazy thing is like just when you're dealing with just basically essentially what I want to say is like look at uh Singapore for instance right I think that's what it is Singapore where the the kid he was like a rich kid who was out there with his father his father on business he spray painted stuff and they caned him I don't know if you guys remember that at all famous, super famous guys in Singapore, you won't find uh, chewed up bubble gum on the sidewalk. You know they're that meticulous about it. So, but because of that, like it's one of the cleanest societies in the, in the world, and um, one of the the least crime ridden societies in the world. And obviously, I'm not advocating for that, but I'm saying like here's a spectrum, right? You have, for instance, Mexico, which is if you know anything about the Mexican prison system it's outlandish the more you figure out about it and you have singapore and i feel like america's kind of right in the middle there you know in in the middle of the spectrum and here it's kind of like we make it up as we go along you know and it takes just people complaining people saying hey this isn't right to actually make a difference and i feel genuinely like we, we we don't have that many people. There's not that many voices yet, you know. And the voices there are 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 super. It's just it's smothered. They're downplayed, you know. It's you know it's criminals or whatever it is. But um, it, it it just makes it that much more challenging. And I don't know what's gonna if anything is gonna change it here. It's just it's big business. Um, the government oversees it. It's in not absolutely not in their best interest to do things. I personally, me personally, I feel like a lot of these. Um, Diversion classes when you get DUIs, a lot of these forced rehab things. It's just a huge profiteering scheme. Oh um, yeah, it's like a factory. I mean, it's not really rehabilitation. It's just dragging people through a set of rote yeah. memorizations, and then you get a check mark after you pay the bill. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think I might have said this on the podcast before. I'm not sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, when I was in there, I got to see things as you did for what they really are. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I always say. You know, the criminal justice system in America is absolutely racist without without a question. Like, no question. It's Jim complete, Crow. Completely racist. Yeah. With, I mean, there's just no doubt. But even more so than it being racist, it's classist first. So essentially what that means is if you don't have money. No, you're screwed. Absolutely. And, in a, you know, what's the, is the famous Martin Luther King quote that's actually chiseled on the, the side of the justice center that says, you know, an injustice to one is an injustice to everyone. You know, there is no justice of one person. Yeah. Yeah, it's serious. And on the irony. justice center, I know, when people are being <laughs> Yeah, it's uh it's difficult to see how we're gonna get ourselves as a society out of this situation with all of the folks profiting from it and all of yeah. the different systems that are feeding it and all the different systems that, you know, quote unquote, benefit from it. It is certainly not the people. It is certainly not the masses. It's, you know, when you talk about voices, there aren't that many voices because the mainstay of folks who have this experience are poverty. You know, they're poor people, yeah. uh, people of color. It's tough. I know as a white woman, I have used my voice in this arena for a long time. And the impact and the response that I get is overwhelmingly um, surprised, compassionate. Oh, wow, you, you know, you uh, having a face like I have, 
reflected in, in other white faces that are doing the, oh, well, you know, I'm sure those people deserve to be there, but they see me and they see themselves in it. Whoa, if you could go, hmm, weird, something must be, uh, you know, that kind of arrests that storyline. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and I know, I know for a fact, I know people who, people of color, women, men of color, who, when they tell their story, they're met with, you know, a, a more of a blasé, of course, of course you went to prison kind of an attitude. Yeah. Where with me, though, you know, were, were you scared? Oh, you're so brave. It's just night and day. And I'm really, really aware of that privilege and really aware of what I feel like is a deep responsibility to use my voice to... Um, you know, to kind of enlighten the parts of the system that I kind of consider I've been in weird ways fortunate to be a cultural anthropologist in. I got a press pass to do both intense personal reflection on what I was doing with my life, but I also got to walk into a literal prison and be able to see a microcosm of how people do and don't suffer in more figurative prisons. You know, we got to see what it was like It was to put all these people together and how folks uh, shape shift and reorganize themselves to survive. You know, inmates are resourceful. Inmates are regular MacGyvers. I mean, it's a it's an interesting thing to witness to go inside of prisons and see what human beings do yeah. under this kind of dress. It is very interesting. I don't recommend it. You know, I don't don't want to say it's awesome, but it was. It was something, something else to witness, and it's something, it's an experience I do not take lightly. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, it, you know, if you're wondering about that, if you want an elaboration on that, just Google prison tattoo guns. Like, <laughs> or prison recipes. Uh, yeah, recipes as well. But, I mean, just the ingenuity. Uh, I mean, recipes, you have commissary, you have canteen, you have the, the ingredients to make true some story, yeah. incredible food in there. but. As far as making a tattoo gun in there, that's takes some extreme ingenuity, like period. And uh, on that note, let's do a quick commercial break. Okay, um, let's do it. And we'll get right back to it. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and we're back. We are back. And now... Uh you want to shift gears a yeah, little me bit, and me, Dick? Yeah, me and me. You read my mind. I was going to say shift gears specifically, too. Uh, yeah, it's enough uh, negative coronavirus <laughs> feeding into the hysteria right now. Um, let's give you another, uh, let's give you a half hour of positive radio, hopefully, while we still 
discuss. I think it's debatable whether this next half hour is going to be super uplifting. No, it'll be the same. We'll do our best. Yeah, (laughs) we'll do our best. We'll try to shift topics a little bit right now. We're hoping. I mean, I'm just really curious, Dick, you know, I mean, we both have businesses, this podcast being, you know, uh, felony entrepreneurs interviewing felony entrepreneurs. And so, you know, I know you as the premier Oregon event guy for Oregon strip clubs are out in the world. You are gathering people together. You are in a lot of clubs. You are around crowds and you are around folks that for a living get pretty close to other folks and hand each other cash money, which we all know is actually pretty germ ridden. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wondering how you're, how you're feeling, how you're handling the news coming at, you know, avalanche rate and what what you're thinking as a guy who depends on crowds to make a living? Yeah, I'm just you know I'm just taking it one day at a time. And uh, you know, the more that I learn, the more that society adjusts, the more I can make adjustments. But um, I mean, until it gets to that point, um, I I can't do. I have no other option but to continue on with the show. And uh, I mean, unfortunately for me, or fortunately for me, you know, I have literally hundreds of people depending on me. And um, you know, to make money and to live comfortably and to, and to continue. And I feel like the moment that I shut down, then it's going to have a astounding rippling effect on the industry. Where's the line, though? Where's the line between keeping people in, in money and protecting them from illness or protecting them from being carriers of illness, because in yeah. these kind of situations, you know, we can become really heavy spreaders, and I think that slowing the spread is our responsibility too. Where yeah. do you land there? I completely agree. Um, you know, as as far as everything that we're that we're learning, you know, Kay Brown said no more than 250 people per venue. Uh, luckily, all the venues that I have my events for the rest of the month planned at are are much lower than that, um, but. Even that as it is, I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything we can do about it. You know, what kind no of precautions are the, are the clubs taking? I know for, I own a bar also, yeah. and I know that watching folks get a drink or two in them, they literally forget to stop touching each other. You know, we get really friendly when we have a little alcohol in us. We, you know what's crazy is I never realized how much I inadvertently touch my face until now. Dude, I think that's the thing I have life. learned over all things in this the most yeah. is I spend a lot of time with my hands on my face. Yeah, me too. I love my hands on my face for some reason. <laughs> and it's just now, you know, every day it's just bothering me more and more because I can't help it. I'll be watching TV and I'll just scratch my cheek or, you know, rub my nose or my eye or whatever. And It's even hard to not touch other people. Like I'm not, yeah. I wasn't even aware how yeah. often I put my hand out to shake people's hand or touch people on the shoulder <laughs> or give people hugs. And I, I'm really having to stop myself. It's breaking a habit yeah. and it's, it's a strange feeling not to be able to connect in that way, I know. You're right. I mean, do you understand the amount of glitter that's on me every night after an event? <laughs> From you dancers permanently glittered. hugging me and, you know, putting their arm around me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I mean, this is, it's, a, it's a strange new world. And, um, you know, I'm evolving as fast as I can. I'm learning as fast as I can. But ultimately, like, I can't, I can't stop things until there's, like, 100% like, legitimate reason to. 
Like, yeah, so you're going to wait till till government says yeah. y'all can't meet. I know in San Francisco they're, they're banning meetings over 50 people. Of course, Italy is on complete quarantine. Yeah. People aren't even allowed to go to the house except for the pharmacy and the grocery store. So do you feel like if that's a potential inevitability that you would be prepared for that? I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I'll be completely prepared for that. I'll survive. You know, my main concern is for all the employees, the dancers, you know, just the trickle down effect of who it's really going to affect. You know, we have you're talking about dancers that have kids to support who are now out of school for the next, you know, foreseeable future. You know, it's two weeks now, but who knows if that will get extended. Um, Nike today just um, made the announcement that all their employees are working from home starting next Monday. I mean, this is, uh, it's it's craziness. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to adapt as much as possible. But at the same time, I'm trying to do so in terms of to where it's not going to, it's going to have minimal effect on the people that I look out for. You right. know, I feel like I, it's my responsibility um, to just try to keep <laughs> the ship afloat. And, uh, I, you know, every day it changes. It's so. a fine balance. I mean, we're talking about this being the last time we're actually even in the studio together yeah, for a exactly. while. You and I are the only one, oh, we're, the this only is the only podcast it. that yeah. showed up today out of our daily schedule here at, yeah. uh, um, the studio, it's just time for us to have some serious social distancing. This little little room that we're talking in these mics that are not our personal mics, yeah. you know, we definitely <laughs> have a lot to think about. It's intense. And then there is, you know, like you said, you are definitely in a great position to have, have all of these people depend on the work you're doing. And at the same time, it comes with a heavy responsibility that it's hard to know yeah, the next and, right step. You're absolutely right. And and for me personally, like I can reschedule events. Mm-hmm. I've done it before with snow and inclement weather. I can do it again with this. Right. Um, just like the NBA is rescheduling the season in NCAA. Right. It's not going to ruin the no, NBA. I, I could, we're still going <laughs> to, that money is still out there. We can still right. get back together. We can still do everything. Um, but just until it's 100% necessary, I just. You know, even though even if it might be putting myself at risk, um, I, I'm just I'm willing to do what it takes to try to still keep people afloat and, and look out for people. Right. I feel that, too. I mean, I feel like my own risk. I feel like I'm in the population of folks that will survive the coronavirus. And yet I'm also someone who has such high contact with so many people. I have a responsibility yeah. not to not to carry it around. It's um Interesting to me, you know, you spend time in clubs and bars and we own a bar and this might be the first recession where bars aren't the busiest places. You know, alcohol tends to be recession proof. I think the liquor stores <laughs> yeah, liquor are going to do all right. But Safe this is this is interesting to have yeah. the places where folks gather to be sad together or to be scared together or to connect yeah. and that's not available to them. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's I, really interesting. Or if in your case, you know, there's a there's a pleasure element to to your business that really attracts people when they're feeling bummed out. You know, they get that connection and that that hit of feeling good. That you know, it's it's unique. Yeah, I feel like you know, if, if people genuinely feel like this is the apocalypse at the end of the days, like <laughs> money is no, you know, like, <laughs> where would you rather be than a strip club at that point? In my <laughs> in my personal opinion. But you know, speaking of that. You know, the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the woods. Uh, well, Week just posted another article about two bars, uh, prominent bars shutting down for the next couple of weeks. I saw that. Uh, yeah, and your bar 
shut down for mm-hmm. the next couple we of weeks. We made that decision yesterday. Yeah, we are not sure how long this is going to last. We're kind of forecasting about yeah. a month, but we, we have no idea. We have yeah. no idea. You know, we're just looking ahead. I read this article in the New York Times about flatten the curve, you know, just the idea that if we can slow the spread, we might have a chance of not overwhelming our healthcare system. What seems to be what has really messed up Italy and some of these other places is that the the rise of the virus went so high, it completely overwhelmed the healthcare system and, you know, shut down the entire economy and all of the systems, you know, so people are, are stuck at home and people are dying in hallways of healthcare. I read an article where people actually cannot get rid of the bodies of their loved ones from their house because everyone's so overwhelmed the funeral homes can't take them. People are living with the decaying bodies of their loved ones. And so it's it's intense. You know, we think of it as, oh, it's just the flu or whatever. Like I even said a minute ago, I might, I'm probably in the population of folks that would survive it. But that's just not the whole story. You know, being scared of getting sick is a very small part of how this this virus is affecting us as a culture. And so we made the call to shut down. I was in the bar uh, Wednesday night, Skyline Tavern Project. There was a band there. At first, it was kind of a light turnout. And then we ended up getting really, really busy. And I think I said it earlier, I watched people after a couple of drinks. And everybody loosens up. And people are hugging each other and, and touching each other. We're a small building. We've got a large outdoor space. But we're a small building, a small, very old building. And it is absolutely impossible with people drinking to keep everything sanitized to a level that feels responsible and safe to us. So we have probably, you know, I haven't counted lately, I guess I've got about 12 to 15 folks dependent on us, our staff, plus all of our musicians, five, six days a week. So we're sitting down and running numbers and figuring out how we can provide extra work, how we can compensate these folks. Do we want to do live stream music uh, music shows. We're definitely going to take the time to organize, clean our space, and do some construction projects that we that are hard to get to when we're open every day. We're putting in new taps. We're gonna we're gonna get some stuff done. We're gonna try to silver lining the yeah. whole thing. And we're kind of isolated where we are in Forest Park. So fortunately, you know, we have the good fortune of being socially distant already to some extent. But um, you know, it's a it's a joyful gathering place. It's a special place where where we have a we have a crowd of people who go there for joy and connection and relaxing and release and for access to the forest park. We are leaving our parking lot open, so we have you know one of the few parking lots up there in Forest Park. So we are leaving it open for people who want to still use the park, and if that's helpful to come have a place to put your car and walk across the street to get into Forest Park, go hiking. Um, take bike rides, go running, you know, offer that for people so that there's something we've got to, we've got to still be able to get out and get into nature and, and um, not feel super isolated. Cause what is the mental health result of this <laughs> thing going to be? I'm going to tell you right now, it's not healthy. I was on house arrest for three years and uh, there's nothing. I mean, cabin fever is a legitimate thing. And, um, I mean, but but what other option is there at this point? You know, we have to kind. Of, we're just kind of all waiting and seeing what's going on. Um, I I think that what you're doing, even though they report the other two bars closed, you're closing your bar. I think a lot of other bars are going to follow suit here. Pretty I think soon. so too. Yeah. yeah, I think it's already happening. Yeah. 
Yeah, concert venues. Mississippi Studios closed their their yeah. venue. I think their bar is still open for now. But we were really taken by the the leadership in Seattle talking about how you know how troubling bar culture can be just because you're crowded up at the bar waiting, grabbing a drink, waiting for a drink. Everyone's you know people get really close right up there at the bar. So there's a world we could have stayed open just for table service. You know we went through all of the options, but we just decided it was easiest and most clean for us just to to take the leap. Well, that's the right move. You know? Yeah. And uh... can I just make a note that if you want to hear. Dick's really intense story of why he spent three years on house arrest. <laughs> Y'all should listen to his previous interview. Do you remember the number of that one, Dick? That uh, you were talking 80, about? 80. 80. Dick's yeah. episode 80. I was in tears on that one, too. Oh, That's man. a pretty, pretty intense story. <laughs> I glassed over a lot of things on the interview, so I appreciate you. <laughs> we might have to sit and have some more discussions. Yeah, yeah, anytime. I mean, yeah, and for the record, Dick and I are new co hosts together yeah. on this podcast. So this is just kind of the beginning. I think this is our second show together we've interviewed together you interviewed me yeah it's, it's different now though now yeah. we're a team now we're a team the getting so to know you phase. this is this is the getting to know you phase yeah. yeah hopefully we can stay in the honeymoon phase for a while yeah i'm, I'm down with it <laughs> <laughs> no fighting on air no, I, think we, I, I think we do a great job it's like sweet and sour it's pretty fun yeah, yeah I'll miss it for the next couple of weeks if we don't get to hang uh, out i mean hopefully we're able to do phone interviews together i think still. that's what yeah. i think that's what the talk is is that yeah. we'll do some remote work to keep the podcast going to keep everybody entertained i mean what are people going to do they sit at home they need to listen to podcasts right yeah we need it all i mean netflix bandwidth is going to go through the roof oh, and, yeah. and anyone listening right now if you want a stock market tip like netflix amazon prime those are all Really great stocks to invest in right now, in my opinion. Yeah, crematorium. Sorry, yeah. it would get real dark real <laughs> fast, but uh, you know, it's not a joke. There's going right. to be. Yeah, I've got seen some. I mean, we were talking earlier how one of the uh, the humor. You know, I have to say, I do appreciate the humor. I know this is very serious business, but I think humor is such a great coping skill for people, and the memes are funny. Yeah. There are some funny memes out there. There's one about, uh, you know, we talk about the toilet paper industry and the Purell industry. And I mean, it's really sad how people are getting gouged. But at the same time, poking fun at capitalism can be a good time. Yeah, indeed. And it's all I mean, that's all reality right now, for sure. It's all reality. It's a full spectrum. And when you're when you're in this kind of uncertainty, like we were saying before, you don't know how to feel. So you kind of feel everything. You I know, yeah. I think I'm feeling everything from relief to grief yeah. and the full spectrum. Definitely the full spectrum. I mean, I don't. I, I really don't know how you could do anything but laugh about the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. Oh my goodness! It's just, yeah, it's outlandish. Yeah, this time I wonder. I wonder what kind of prison time you would get for teeping somebody's house. You know, <laughs> if we went out and did that today, what a way! Wow. Yeah, I know it's a national resource. <laughs> national resource, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. Oh man, so what? Uh, so to continue to switch gears, let me. Yeah. I'm gonna completely go off topic right now. Do it. Something that I regretted uh, last time that we, when you were the guest and I interviewed you, I really dropped the ball on this, and I, I kind of want to just go into it right now because I think it's gonna you know, brighten up people's day a little bit. Um, one thing that you were talking about is you had an elderly gentleman, I think 70 years old, that would take a mule to your. <laughs> 
<laughs> he, 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 he wrote I am a, he wrote so a mule glad to that him. you hooked into that little yeah, piece of know, the story, Dick. I, I hooked into it, but I, I should have hooked all the way. And yeah. That's why I'm going to hook all the way right now into this. So that guy, yeah, his name is Dick Riggs. He has been <laughs> coming to Skyline Tavern for 50 years. So yeah. this bar has been a thing. We, we don't actually have a... a solid date that this thing opened because it was a farmhouse built in 1920, 100 years ago, around 1920. Mm -hmm. Um, 50-acre horse farm. They sold beer and groceries out of their garage. The building that is now our main tavern building was moved from somewhere on Skyline. We don't have the full story about that either. It was either a little store, school, or something and was moved there. So... We count ourselves to be roughly 100 years old. So we run into folks all the time that are like, oh, my grandma used to drink there or, you know, older folks. I used to go there. They didn't card me. You know, we could go party there. There's all kinds of stories of folks going there. But Dick Riggs, yeah, he's one of our favorites. He is a fantastic, fantastic local character. It's one of those things where it's just stranger than then what do they say? Stranger than fiction. It's stranger than fiction. The guy comes up. You cannot make it up. Long white beard. He wears a ankle length leather duster, a hat with feathers in it. And I swear on my life that the last time he came up, his white beard was full of flower petals. It was just a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some photos. I'll have to show you some photos. But we recently also, uh, fun fact, is over the summer wasn't over the summer i lose such track of time what even is time anymore you know the time of coronavirus um we were hired to be one of the locations for nick cage's film he came to portland and and starred in a film that's totally where i was going with this (laughs) is it yeah yeah okay yeah go ahead let me let you ask okay (laughs) so last time we did the interview uh great interview by the way i was really happy with it but afterwards when we're done we talk about you had Nicolas Cage in there filming this movie that's been highly publicized on uh, social media and, and some local like news news establishments, which is essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a movie where Nicolas Cage, he has a prized truffle pig, and he's up here in the Pacific Northwest using his truffle pig to find truffles, and someone kidnaps the truffle pig, and he goes on a Liam Neeson revenge-style mission of uh, possibly murder and I don't know that there's to... murder. I'm not even sure I know the rest of it. They, we were not <laughs> allowed any information that would involve spoilers. Okay. The directors were pretty pretty good, pretty tight with their story. Uh, Vanessa and Michael, they're wonderful. I, I'm sorry I can't, I don't have their last names on the yeah. tip of my tongue. You, you surprised me with this line of questioning. But I um, love to talk about it. We had a really good time. Um, so yes, Truffle Pig, I'm not sure there's any murder, but there's definitely some revenge, and I think ultimately this is a love story. So oh. it's a love story between a man and his, his pig. pig. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of an off, offbeat kind of indie film love story about Nicolas Cage plays a guy who is a retired chef, and he goes into isolation in the forest. So our place became this kind of a, a gateway part of the story. I look so, I'm really excited to see it. I don't know how much longer it's going to take. You know, it takes two years. It also was Nicolas Cage and, um, shoot, what's the other actor's name that uh, 
was in it. He, uh, God, he played in a recent horror film that was really, really good. I'll have, I'll have to, I'll have mm-hmm. to get his name. Um, it was so fun doing it. We shut down for a couple days, had a whole film crew up there. They all bought our, we have these great windbreakers that we were selling at the time. They all bought our windbreakers. So we had, you know, 50 folks walking around our parking lot wearing our swag and craft services and, and Nicolas Cage. Which is surreal. It's surreal to see Nicolas Cage yeah. walk in your place because he's so iconic. That's why I was kicking myself after the last interview because I was like, man, we could have talked about this, broke the news, leaked it to Willamette <laughs> Week, you know, had a big... Yeah, I don't think... I Hopefully we're not saying anything that, that I don't, is I, a leak. I don't think so. From from my understandings, and I'm, I could be dead wrong, you know, this is all, I'm just regurgitating what I've seen on social media, but it was a revenge story like Liam Neeson's taken where... They took the truffle pig, his prized truffle pig, that he's in love with. He's obviously, in love with. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's love. It's his, it's his companion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like uh, Tom Hanks in the volleyball. And, uh, I think Wilson. so. I think so. Yeah. So Tom they take Hanks, the they of take course the pig. He would come up. Yeah. <laughs> we can bring, we, we can't. If stop. we have a little time left, we could talk about that as well. But, um, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring that up again. But I feel like it could go that way. It could go. He. Would, if someone kidnapped his beloved truffle pig, he would violently retaliate to, by any means necessary to get that pig back. I think you should maybe have been on this in, on the writing. Uh, you know, I think that sounds like that could have really been the way this movie plays out. I'm, well, not, I, I'm I, not sure it is. I don't. I, I, I can't visualize any other way of it playing out. Like if, tr- <laughs> if the pig just wanders off and then he finds him later. Yeah, I just don't know if it's violent. He's, you know, we'll see. We'll well, someone's see. kidnapping your prize pig. I mean, I mean, it could be. To, Outlandish measures to to get your loved one back. Right, right. But I, but it was the, just real quick. Was was the pig at the bar? Oh, during I, the wish, I wish. I wish. I yeah. wish. We asked. I wanted more than anything to meet the pig because they really had an actor pig. You know, there's yeah. a pig. Yeah, professional in the, in the acting film. pig. But no, we did not get to meet the pig. It's like the Macaulay Culkin of pigs. It was. Yeah, he was pro pig, um, and the and the working title of the film I think is Pig. Actually, okay. yeah, but we did not get to meet the pig. Much to my chagrin, yeah. we did not get to meet the pig. Did you get to and get Nic- any? Nicholas Cage was in. You know, he was really in character too. So we were not allowed to take photos. Yeah. We were not allowed to. Totally, my next question. Yeah, do yeah. a lot of things. He didn't take photos with us because he was in character and costume, and they didn't want to leak his look. But. I want. I want to ask what the costume was like, but I won't because I, I don't. Do want, yeah, I don't want to put you in that position at all. I can't do it. I'll just uh. say that uh, <laughs> you know the the story is that he goes and lives all by himself in the woods for a really long time. Yeah. So if you can imagine that, that sounds. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching with Nicholas Cage's yeah. face, and, yeah. and we get to see your your bar, your tavern. Yeah, I think it's going to make a screen. make a good play. I mean, it's it's got quite a yeah, the facade of the place looks like a movie set as it is the sort of old western yeah. saloon facade the thing's got on it. Has it ever been on TV or in movies before? Oh yeah, yeah. I can't think of what they are in a minute uh, at this moment, but we've got a few. We've got a few credits out in the world. We we have people ask frequently. I just fielded a a call the other day. Somebody wanted to do a a little film in our place and. Um, we yeah we get some folks up there. We had some people up there camped out filming just the other day. We had to go get them and be like, you know, <laughs> pay us. <laughs> you don't get to just yeah. come up here and film, film. for free because yeah. we're cute. Indie movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, we're pretty protective of our of our place. As you but should be. We love to we love to share it. We're also kind of protective of it. It's so special and so historic that it definitely gets a lot of attention. 
Well, I mean, I have a confession to make. I've never actually been to the Skyline Tavern Project. And, See, we uh, said we were new. Yeah. I'm I'm going I'm coming. Yeah, as soon as the soon the as ban the... is lifted, <laughs> as soon as the coronavirus dies down. Definitely. I'll be right there. There's a yeah. beer sitting on the bar with your name on it, well, Dick. Yeah, speaking of a beer on the bar with my name on it, you gave me an excellent gift today. I did. The growler. That and, growler is uh, full of full wolves of and people, green limousine IPA. Yeah, the green, green limousine IPA. Green limousine IPA. Yeah, they're a an independent brewer out in Newburgh, Oregon. They're super awesome. They use like wild yeast from their oh, own property and everything. We just did a tap takeover with them Wednesday night, the last night we were open. And so we had three three kegs on tap of theirs and a month, you know. It's, yeah. The beer's not going to last, so got to pour it out from homies. Well, I mean, if you need Except to give... I think that means something different, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <if you laughs> I'll need, do that too. Yeah, if you need anyone else to give any more IPA to, just let me know. All right, but, noted, yeah, noted. Appreciate it. A lot of people like to hate on IPA, but I, I love it. It's very robust. People love warms IPA. You up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what this movement is about people. People are kind of, I think people are kind of just persnickety and snobby because we have so many options so ipa became a thing for a while and now you know it's too mainstream probably is what happened it it gets to be the popular beer and then everyone snubs it and goes for something else very typical i'm the same way with tequila i know everything about tequila and i think that if you're really versed on ipa it's the same way and if you if you don't know anything about it it's just overwhelming and when something overwhelms you you're like oh well forget about that do you do mezcal yeah, uh, I I try not to because it tastes like burnt rubber. It tastes like chewing oh, out tire. Oh, I disagree. You don't think it tastes like rubber? You tried Sotol? Sotol, Mezcal? No, yeah, it's a, from a different plant. But. Someone. Yeah, Mezcal's from a different plant than other Mezcals or from tequila? No, Sotol is, so yeah. is its <laughs> own thing. Sotol is its own thing. Um, it's not from Mezcal. It's actually a different plant. Okay. I would suggest it's it. It's not agave. Mm-hmm. It's not agave. Wow. It uh, grows around the same area. It's about 38%, so it's a little okay. uh, less strong, but... Interesting. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My thing is, I, I tried mezcal over and over again, being a tequila aficionado, and uh, every time I just couldn't get into it. I, it didn't matter if it was a mule, whatever I chased it with, whatever I mixed it with, I still got that. It, it tasted like rubber that was on fire in my mouth, um, like a, like chewing on a tire, like a car tire. And then, so I just I was done with it. And then a good friend of mine was like, "Man, you got it. It gets you drunk differently. It's a different kind of buzz." Than tequila, so I was like, "It is. It's almost hallucinogenic. Yeah. It's a really yeah. different kind like of medicine. Yeah. yeah, like absinthe. Exactly. So, so I heard that, and I was like, you know what? I have a bottle of it. I actually had a bottle of it. I was be gifted. careful, Dick. Well, I, I drank it already. Oh, okay. And, but I, I purposely didn't drink anything but mezcal for one night, and I wanted to kind of do uh, just a little research project to see what it was like. And it was actually extremely warm and inviting. I, I hated the taste of it. It's very acquired taste. That's so interesting. Maybe you have like a cilantro gene to mezcal. You know how something like 40% <laughs> yeah, of the population thinks cilantro tastes like soap and the rest of us think it's amazing? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I drank really good. Do uh, you like I, cilantro? Yeah, I love cilantro. Okay, I see. Yeah. Yeah, I love tacos. So you're 50% ready to go to Mexico. I've, I mean, I go to Mexico all the time. So <laughs> I was just at Port of Arthur. Their tequila game is pretty awesome. Yeah. So you're and, good indeed, to go. Yeah. yeah, I brought back a couple bottles. But... um. As far as Mezcal is concerned, I'm just still on the fence about it in terms of taste, but uh, it did make me feel really good. There are other things to do. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're about at time. I think this uh, we can wrap up this show and, and see what happens for our next show. I think we're going to all be in our separate homes talking to each other on the phone is what we've decided now. 
Um, we've got some other ideas we might implement to see if we can get creative with this this situation. And in the meantime, you know, we're we're out doing the work. I do want to shout out Criminon, um, Criminals Anonymous, who are doing amazing work yeah. out there with folks. And uh, do you know their website offhand? Yeah, Criminon.org. Uh, Dot org. I also want to just shout out the Family Preservation Project, an outfit that I work with there through the YMCA, and they work in our local uh, women's prison, Coffee Creek, and they do amazing work helping women with legal stuff. They give women f- free phone calls, and their mission is to get women and children, to get the mothers and children to be able to have actual realistic relationships while they're on the inside, particularly for the children. They work with legislation and with the rights of the children, which is something that, like we said earlier, doesn't get brought up a lot because people think of what are the rights of the inmate to see their child versus what is the rights of the child to see their parents. And so it's really, really important work, and they're currently not allowed to go to work, not allowed to go help these women. So I just want to shout them out if y'all you know, have, have an extra five, ten, five hundred bucks. You know, it's, yeah. it's great to send to some of these organizations that are doing really good work with these populations. I couldn't agree more, you know. And on that note, uh, you know, we're going to try to broadcast next week by any means possible. Uh, anything I can do to keep the Felony Inc. movement going, I'm with it. And I know Meg's with me on that. Um, and until then, every Friday at 10 a.m., you can check us out at StartupRadioNetwork.com. And uh, we'll see you next week. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you can easily control how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Felony Inc. sent you and get $150 credit. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.